Jonaba now had to survive for her son Natu without Dhoni. She quickly learned that she was now a destitute. The company would not pay her Dhoni's back wages and the elders would not return her fields just yet because Natu was far too young to take over. Perhaps the other widows and grandmothers in Lunwa might help, she hoped. Jonaba was a young widow, too proud to remarry, too headstrong to be desirable, and far too poor to be a good catch. She was often left behind to watch over the homes when other women went to visit the fairs in nearby villages, attend the Gangor festival or to visit Udaipur, Pali or Dilbara with their families. Being a widow also meant Jonaba had to sit out weddings, birth and death rituals in her own community because those were the rules. She hoped for better days when Natu was older. Time passed slowly and just as a farmer yearned for rain, Jonaba yearned for friendship and companionship in this village of happy families. Nantu had no one to speak for him to bring him a suitable alliance. When he was old enough, a young girl's father from a nearby village came to visit Jonaba. He was looking for a suitable spouse for his second daughter, Sila. He had heard about Dhuni's sacrifice and proclaimed that the son of such a noble individual, Nattu, would be a suitable match for his Sila. Secretly, he was hoping to marry off his daughter without spending a lot of money. As a widow of limited means, Jonaba would not want to host an elaborate wedding either as she could not attend it. Marrying his Sila to Natu at a wedding fair would be a good compromise. He would have to provide a very small dowry and would not have to feed or host wedding guests. It was settled. A new turban was purchased for Natu and he headed down to the next wedding fair a few months later to find and marry Sila. Natu brought home a chirpy, bubbly young girl whose face stayed hidden underneath a long old knee whenever she was in public. Jonaba had hoped that young Sila would become part of the family easily. After all, this is why there was a tradition of marrying girls off while they were still so young, so it was easier for them to get used to the new family. She hoped Sila would share her responsibilities and become another woman in the house. But Silla was still a child of 15 and used every opportunity to remind Natu that he needed to keep his young bride bedecked with colourful old knees and melodious glass bangles. Jonaba remembered her own youth and revelled in the nostalgic reminders of carefree times. But Silla and Natu were only too eager to establish their family and Johari was born the same year. Despite her worry that it would be all too soon, Jonaba's joys knew no bound. A girl child meant a burden for some but not for her. The beautiful little baby girl would surely usher good changes and Jonaba now became Motiba or elder mother.
Motiba's hopes were short-lived. Sila was only 16 when she bore Johari. She missed her own untethered childhood more than the joys of her newly bestowed motherhood. The farmers were being hit hard. There was less and less rain in the region. The long fingers of drought drew deep marks on the soils of the area, and the farmers began leaving the barren lands to look for work in the city. When Johari turned 10 months, Nathu left to look for work in Ahmedabad. Sila pined for Nathu and waited each afternoon in the shade of the bada walls, listening for the crunching sounds of his footsteps on the dusty village road that led to Ahmedabad, covering her eyes against the glare, looking eagerly across every direction through the scrub and desert, simply hoping for some news. The postman never brought letters for this village. Nor did any visitors bring news of her husband. She returned each dusk, beaten, muddy, and parched, until one evening when she did not return. She had followed the mirage of her natu one afternoon, which led her away into the cold, dry evening. In Lunwa, women who wandered away alone were seldom heard of again. Natu did not return either. life had left motiva widowhood had not been kind to her either this was once a tall and stately woman she would take on working in any fields that the farmers could plow sometimes taking the neighbors camels goats or sheep out to graze in exchange for paltry sums of money to make ends meet with natu and sila gone having the complete responsibility of johari changed her life again she saw johari as her second chance a blessing While infant girls were being secretly killed in Rajasthan and others allowed to succumb to the drought or famine, Motiba resolved to ensure Johari survived. She was going to use what little money she had saved to purchase her first water buffalo. The milk would feed the baby and perhaps she could earn a few extra coins to purchase food for herself. Motiba was strong and determined. Thirty years of widowhood had curved Motiba's back. She had become one with the melancholy colors of her maroon skirt and plain, unbedecked odni, customary for widows. She had long relinquished her jewelry, her nose ring, and bangles. Her odni covered her clean-shaven head and remained tucked behind her ears, exposing tattooed temples, the only surviving adornment on her body, reminders of times when she was allowed to look beautiful. she was covered in wrinkles those dark eyes that had captivated dhuni were now sunken into her face earlobes stretched out long from once having worn heavy earrings 
and her once hairna covered palms were now calloused from working with her growing herd of livestock. She was determined that Johari had learned to sign her name if nothing else, that she would be married into a large and wealthy family with no dearth of resources. She deserved more than the desert had promised her. Motiba's mountains of hardships remained dwarfed by her determination. She garnered the respect of her village. Her words became her command. Lunwa knew that there was no escaping Motiba's word or judgment. She became the only woman allowed to sit alongside the elders at the village council. Sheltered within the Vada walls and by Motiba's word, Johari was the light of her life and of the village, the adored one, the protected one. March morning in 1899 as Motiba crossed over the threshold of her mud hut out from the shadows of her oti or the covered porch onto the dung smeared open space outside her house she saw the little boy with his bloodied head the face of the boy's howling thieves are here tearing through the vada entrance running haplessly towards her her grip on her tamarind stick weakened at first and tightened again Motiba bellowed a decree to the women to go indoors and shut the doors, calling above the fast approaching commotion. The men were still at the fields, but she feared the thieves had got to them too, because she did not see anyone return to protect the women. She instructed the boy to return to his mother. He was only a boy. Flecks of color appeared in the dust, suggesting sashes of multicolored clothing. The glint of metal, coupled with the sound of gunfire and screams, told Motiba that these were no ordinary thieves. They were religious fanatics and crusaders looking to kill. Company soldiers were following behind, hoping to curb the violence, but they were outnumbered. It looked like her people of Ranua would be next to be caught in the crossfire of the smoldering unrest that had swallowed her love, Duni. Although this was not their fight, today it had come to her doorstep. Today it was not just their fight; it was her fight. As the Rao of Sirohi helplessly watched from afar, Lunwa was being ransacked and looted. Motiba was not going to let them harm her or Johari. She would stay behind. Motiba had no time to try and shut the Vada gates. She felt alone as the women fled indoors to her decree. She called quickly to Johari and dragged her by the hands to the shed to the side of the house, choosing to hide behind the hay bales, waiting for the crusaders to pass. They were looking for money lenders. The famine had made looters of the farmers. Johari was shaking in fear and confusion. Motiba's water buffaloes were restless too. waving long tails and swatting the imaginary flies off of their coarse gray backs as they regurgitated cut someone called out their names and motiba quickly clasped her hand on johari's agape mouth and cautioned her take heart child we don't know who is calling 